Greater Glory, week one, Thursday, the second, uh, Monday, the second of March, two thousand and twenty. Okay, it's just wonderful to be here with you guys this morning. It's wonderful to just be sharing with you what God laid on my heart, and I really trust that there will be something that you glean from, learn from, and have to be able to apply for your own lives to go into a greater glory with the Lord. On the 19th of December, 2019, um, I always ask God for a word for the next year, at the end of the last year, and just sort of to prepare my heart for where he's taking the church, where he's taking us as individuals, where he's taking me. And this was the word God gave me. And after I recorded it, he said, I don't want you just to send it out. I want you to equip people and teach them so that they understand what the word actually means. And so I'm just going to share that with you because he said to me, we're not moving into a new year. We're moving into a new decade and we're moving into a new era. And church the way it was in the past is not going to work the way that it worked before. He says, I'm doing a whole new thing. Behold, the former things have passed away and I'm doing a new thing. And we've got to shift into the place with God and what he's doing now, or we are going to not be able to understand what he's busy doing now. And I'm hoping that I can encourage one or two of you along the journey as I go through the word. Okay, <clears throat> 2020 will be the year of the greater glory of God being revealed and released through the lives of those who have allowed God to shake and to shape them as forerunners for the next season. Many people have been in a place where the last few years have been extremely difficult. Many people have been in a place that they haven't understood what was going on. There are three areas that when God brings shaking, and you know we blame the enemy, but, but, the, but God brings shaking. He allows us to go through shaking. And why does he allow us to go through shaking? Because he wants us to grow into maturity. And so he allows things to happen in our lives. And the three ways that he, that he often allows us to walk through shaking now, he doesn't bring anything on us. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But sometimes he just steps back while we journey through. Because in this world, you will have many troubles. And um, the three ways that he allows shaking to happen is relationally. And suddenly you'll feel like relationships are battling. Things are not fitting together the way they used to. Um, you don't understand it, but it's like you can't connect and it's because God is actually wanting to shake us into a new place. And every time he does that, we stand before the Father on our own. And we're not all moving at the same rate. So relationally, the next one is financially, where God just does a, a shaking with our finances, where so many of us believe that the size of our God is according to the size of our wallet. And he says, no, I am way beyond that. And I've got to shake you loose of the reliability on your own means for you to get a revelation of who I am in you. And then sometimes he allows us to experience seasons of battling with our health um, because he wants to build our faith in him. We will never understand that he is the healer if we don't have to face sometimes battling with our health. And so some, he allows these things, and there are people in the last five years, even up to ten years, that have really been in a place where they feel that they've been shaken, and God has been shaking them and shaping them as forerunners for the next season. The gl greater glory of God is about to be released through the lives of those, number one, who have prepared themselves by guarding their mouths, their speech, their hearts against judging others, 
and digging deep to deal with their own hurts and their own offenses. Number two, those who have hungered for more of him and had thirsted after his righteousness, who have worshipped him and longed for more of his presence. They are about, number three, to reflect his glory as never before. 2020 will be the year of eyes being opened to see more, to see clearer than before, and for mouths to be anointed with a greater authority to speak, to declare, to prophesy, to establish his kingdom, his call, his purposes, his word, his works, in places, cities, countries, and in the lives of people as never before. This is the birthing of a new era, and it will suddenly break forth. Remember, I got this word on the 19th of December. Know that the enemy will try and interfere with the move of God by increasing the demonic activity. Nations will be shaking. <clears throat> Spiritually, people will seek for more demonic power. Morally, they will hunger and lust after, more lust after more pleasure. But none of this will fill the void of their hearts. Their hunger for identity, belonging, and truth and light will increase as the depth of darkness tries to overshadow all, resulting in the harvest of broken, lost people coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. Do not be overwhelmed by darkness. But seek after more of him, for there is so much more to be found for all those who are prepared to go deeper in the river of God. And we're going to be looking at that river. It's described in Ezekiel 47 and in Revelations 22. For those who hunger for more of his love, who seek for more of his heart, who surrender all so that he can lead them into the depth of anointing that he has been preparing for those who desire more of him. In the coming year, those who are ready will start wearing, and I was so excited to hear this, they'll start wearing his glory as robes and walking in the greater glory of his authority, his power, his supernatural release, wherever they are. Miracles and signs and wonders will follow them and joy will be their strength. They will experience persecution and be criticized by some, but the desperate and the lost will flock to them for more of him like never before. And then I felt there was a warning. Do not touch his glory. Do not own his glory. Do not control his glory. And prepare well to walk in his glory. For those he can trust with his glory will continue to walk in the increase of greater glory um, as the release comes through 2020. And the knowledge of his glory will increase as the waters cover the sea. On the 25th of January, I felt God say that the decade that we have moved into is a decade of greater love. But this love that God is pouring out now is love for the world. My heart has been absolutely broken as I've spent time in the presence of God for the world and the state of the world. And he said, I've poured my love out in the church. I'm now going to be pouring my love out for a broken, dying world. It's going to be a time of greater desire, and those who hunger for more will be filled with a far greater level of his glory. It is the season of new wineskins. I felt him saying, I'm looking for those clean pots. You know those clean pots that he spoke about in the very first miracle that he did when he looked for the water pots that were clean so that the water in them could be changed to wine? I felt God say, I'm just looking for clean pots. Clean pots that will carry the greatest authority of my wine for this next season. 
Then he said, it's a time of shifting mentally from servants to sons. I asked him about that, and I said, God, what, what do you mean by that? And I'll be unpacking a little bit more as we go along. But God said, a servant doesn't think like a son. And he said that we've got to shift from thinking like servants to having the understanding and the reasoning of thinking like the Son of God. Then he said it would be a time of those that were faithful with little becoming ruler over much. And once again, he said it would be a mind shift. When you've had the understanding of being faithful with little, faithful with little... (coughs) Excuse me, please. Faithful with little... You think like a servant. You're always just trying to please with a little that you have. But we've got to shift (coughs) into becoming a ruler. The difference between a servant and a ruler is a servant is obedient. A ruler stands with authority and knows how to give away and how to delegate. And I felt God say there has to be a mental shift for people to move into this new season. Because if they try and walk in the new season as a servant, they will not walk into the fullness of the authority as a ruler that God has got for them. Children, um, I also felt him say in, in Matthew 20, it talks about the last will be first. And it says there that the servants went out into the field to go and work. But that a whole lot of people came in the hour before the end. And they got the same pay. And I felt God say, we're going to see people coming into the harvest field that are only just got born again, spirit-filled, and they're going to be radical. And they're going to come into the field, and we are to embrace them and to love them and to prepare for them because they are going to get the same wage. Just because some have been serving for longer, God says there is, he is not a, a, a preferer of people. They're going to get the same wage and the same reward. And then I felt him say, children will be rising up with a great anointing. I felt him say, it's been the season of setting women free to take their rightful place. And now we're going to see children rising up and operating in an incredible revelation of kingdom and an incredible revelation of harvest, of, of glory. And I felt the sixth thing that he said He said, and the greatest harvest ever is about to come into being. And so it's been really exciting getting these prophetic words and preparing for them. And now I'm hoping that I can unpack them and help you to walk into a greater revelation of the glory of God. Okay, so looking at page three, what is glory? If he's calling us into a greater level of glory, what is glory? Well, I've made a little definition because I've looked up many definitions and they're all so varied. But um, I've tried to summarize it like this. Glory is the heavy, abiding, holy, pure, supernatural, creative atmosphere of perfect love and light which flows from the God of glory, Abba Father. It is the fullness of the word and the spirit operating together. That's what I feel describes glory in its full picture. Psalm 29 verse 2b to 3 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, and the God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty. As we go through this, you'll realize that one of the most important ways of entering into greater glory is through worship. And God is calling us to ascribe greatness, to worship Him, and to enter into that place. There is no shortcut of entering into presence and entering into glory, but by the worship of God. 
So as we look at the description of glory in the, in the Bible, we'll see three types of descriptions. The first one is the Shekinah, and when you look at that word Shekinah, we never actually find it in the Old Testament. But it is used by the Torah writers and about the, the, the describers of the, of the holy writings right from the beginning to describe a type of glory. And the glory that they describe as Shekinah glory is where the Father himself manifests on earth, where the presence of Abba Father, the God of glory, manifests on earth. And I think the way that I can describe this best, because I ask God to help me understand it, is this, if you drop a pebble into the water, where that pebble drops is the weightiness of what's just disturbed the water. And then it lets ripples leave from there. And the ripples are big, close to where the pebble dropped. And then they get less and less and less. And the Shekinah is where the pebble actually enters into the water. It's where God the Father himself manifests on earth. And that's where the weightiness of the Shekinah is present. And we see that that happened quite a few times in the Old Testament. Um, it says in Psalm 97 verse 2, Clouds and darkness are around him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Shekinah manifested, number one, where the Father Elohim, it said God Elohim, and Elohim means multiple God. It's used over 2,000, I think 500 times in the Old Testament. And it speaks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit manifesting together. So where you see God in the Old Testament, and especially in the beginning in Genesis and going through into the earlier books, it speaks about the manifest presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Elohim, the three in one. So where God manifested in the Garden of Eden, there was the fullness of His Shekinah glory being present in that place with Adam and Eve because the fullness of the Trinity manifested there. Then we see the example with the burning bush of Moses. You know, I love that story because Moses had said he saw the bush was burning. Now, you know, if you, if you listen to reports in the Old Testament, I mean, r reports in the desert, you'll find that bushes often ignite. It's so dry that they'll often burn. So it wasn't a strange phenomenon to see a burning bush. But something caught his attention because the Bible says Moses saw and then he looked. And, and so often we miss God because we don't look. We see, but we don't stop and see that there's more to it. There's something deeper. There's something more spiritual about what God is just revealing now. And because he stopped and he went and looked, he saw the Shekinah presence of God being manifest in that bush. And the amazing thing about that bush, it didn't burn up, whereas the other bushes did. And, and he, he would have seen a bush burning and walked past and thinking, oh, well, it'll be another bush that burns up. But something made him go and look. And he had an encounter of Shekinah where the father himself spoke to him out of the burning bush. And that's why God said, take off your shoes. Where the Shekinah is, we can't walk in our own shoes. Where the Shekinah is, the very presence of God himself, we can't come in and present ourselves. We've got to absolutely bow down before the fullness of the Shekinah. It's holy ground. And the next time we see it is the pillar. It's described in Exodus 
um, Exodus 3 verse 21. I'm just going to go back quickly. Uh, for the Elohim was Genesis 3 verse 8. For the burning bush, Exodus 3 verse 3 and 4. For the pillar by day, it's Exodus 13 21. And Numbers 12 verse 5, and it says, The Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud. And we know that he was a pillar by day and he was a fire by night. Um, he manifested himself like that to the Israelites. And then we see the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where the Shekinah, where the Father himself is manifested in that Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to be unpacking this a little bit more further on. But where the Ark was present, even Dagon had to fall over. Because no authority can have authority where, where the Father himself is present. And then we see um, the manifestation of Moses going up onto Mount Sinai. And he was so covered in the glory of the Shekinah that he had to hide his face when he came down because man couldn't look upon the glory that Moses was carrying, the manifestation. And that's described in Exodus 24, verse 12 and 16 to 17. And then Jesus himself was a manifestation of the Trinity on earth. He was the living manifestation. So the Shekinah is where God, the God of glory himself, manifests on earth. Then what is the Kabod? Well, the Kabod is the manifestation of Jesus, the, the, the Lord of glory, the King of glory, who manifests himself. And as I said to you, the pebble drops, and that's the weightiness. And then there's like this, the, 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 um, the ripples on the on the water after that and so where the where the kabod is it's part of the rippling weight of the presence of god and it's described as being weighty as being supernatural it's the atmosphere of heaven touching earth and something has shifted and something has changed and wherever the kabod is you'll see the manifestation of gold dust you'll see jewels you'll see angel feathers because there's a manifestation of what's happening in that realm in the heavenly realm manifesting on earth this is also where supernatural miracles start happening because where the cloud of glory is and we see that in Genesis where it said the spirit was brooding and the word spoke and creation happened and so where you see the the father the son and the holy spirit together where the father speaks Jesus makes it happen he's the creative lord and the the the, the glory cloud and the spirit is brooding supernatural manifests on earth and so God is wanting to do far more supernatural he's wanting us to enter into far more glory and we see the weight of the meaning of kabod meaning the weightiness the heaviness the reverence the respect that's why you have to take your shoes off when we enter into glory and then in the new testament it's described as doxa meaning the glory, and that's just a general term for glory, being Shekinah and Kabod are coming together as in glory, and described as doxa in the New Testament. Right. Now, the first thing I want us to understand is that we were created in glory. Every one of us were made in the glory cloud of heaven. When God created us, when he predestined us, when he shaped us, he had a perfect plan for our life and we were created in glory. We came from glory and we were created for glory. And man craves glory, absolutely craves glory, but man cannot carry glory. The enemy also craved glory. Satan wanted the glory of God. He wanted the fullness of God's glory, but it belongs to the Father. It belongs to the Father. It says, Father and Jesus 
carry the glory. And one day when we get restored back into the into the uh, heavenly kingdom, the glory and the light is going to come from Father and from Jesus. And we cannot touch that, but man absolutely craves it. Ephesians 1 says, um, verse 4, Accordingly, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Before the foundations of the world, we were created pure and holy in glory, for glory, with creative, with a supernatural creative ability within us. But Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we want it. We crave it. Man, the flesh, craves glory. And that is why man is always wanting glory. Now, the tragedy about this is when the flesh wants glory, it tries to strive for glory. And because we don't understand that we can't have glory, we can't own glory, we can only just be glory carriers that take it back to the Father, the flesh wants to embrace it as its own. And that's why there's so much striving. And that's why there's so much trying to do something and trying to be impressive. Because we all crave glory. And the, the spirit behind the craving of the flesh for glory is Satan himself. Because if we can take glory unto ourselves away from God, we're fulfilling something in him who craves glory. And so God is calling us to rise up with an understanding that we cannot touch glory. Ephesians 2 verse 2 to 3 says, Wherein in time past you walked in accordance with the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, in the children of a disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, the fulfilling of the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Why? Because we wanted what belonged to God. But that's why Jesus came, because he's so incredibly merciful that he came to bring order back into disorder. 2 Timothy 3 says that they are always learning and never have the ability to come into the knowledge of truth. Because we want glory. How do we look for glory? We look for it in power and control. We look for it in fame and popularity. We look for it in money and possessions. And we look for it in sexual lusts and pleasures. And we think if we can get enough of that, we'll have glory. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. 1 Corinthians 1 says, verse 20, where is the wise? Where are the scribes? Where are the philosophers of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? The Bible says in Galatians 5 verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 1 John, uh, John 3 verse 16 says, For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. Now, I've just given you a few examples here of people that have craved glory and now the enemy has allowed them to take the glory and to make it their own and they have got overwhelmed by the weightiness of glory. Glory has incredible weight and they have not been able to carry that and because they haven't been able to carry it, they've wanted more, they've looked for more and he's led them into the greatest darkness and ultimately destroyed them. And we can just see a picture of a few people here. We see um, Michael Jackson, the young innocent Michael Jackson and what glory did to him and how he was destroyed through that because flesh cannot touch glory. And then um, you can just look at the pictures for yourself. 
because this isn't about who they are. It's about the fact that they were completely destroyed because they tried to touch that which only God can touch. In Acts 17 verse 28 it says, For in him we live and move and we have our being. As certain also of our own poets that have said, For we are his offsprings. God has done everything so that we can be restored back to him. He's given us the offer of salvation. He's given us a desire to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he's given us the ability to enter into the river of life. I just want to touch on the river of life. So what happens when we don't meet the king of glory and we don't take glory back to him? And we don't realize that we are just the carriers, that it has to go back to him. We take it to ourselves. We get caught up in the ways of this world. We get caught up in the thinking of this world. And unfortunately, the church is full of the ways of this world operating. And at the end of that, we move into striving. We move into trying to impress people. We move into trying to feel that we're going to get power somehow by by, um, building ourselves up. We look for power in money and fame and in popularity and intelligence and none of that bring us closer to the Father. He says, if you want to have the kingdom of heaven, become like little children. Become like little children. It takes us deeper into religion. It takes us deeper into theology. It takes us deeper into into all kinds of man-made law. But it doesn't bring us closer to the Father. I just want to talk about the river of life because so much of the next four weeks we're going to be talking about going deeper in the river of life. Revelations 22 talks about it and we know that the river of life is the river of the flowing of the Holy Spirit. We know that human beings are made up of about 79 to 80% of water and we were actually created to be full of water which is the water of the Holy Spirit. Physically we need water to survive They reckon that so many of the diseases that we suffer with can be healed just by drinking enough water. And spiritually, we need the living waters to survive. Jesus said, if you will drink from that which I've given you, you will never thirst again. And the living waters lead us into greater glory and the fullness of God expands our capacity, gives us a greater authority, and we are able to live a life where everything goes back to the Father and through our lives. And he's called us all to live a life far bigger than we're living now. You know, I'm always so incredibly aware that there are two books called The God's Generals. And I find that incredibly tragic when actually every single one of us are created to be a general for God. Every single one of us have got a predestined, incredible, super quality of life that God intended for us. He never created anybody to be ordinary. He created us all to be extraordinary, to be supernatural beings. And yet so few come into the revelation of their predestined created character. And we live such a watered down version of who we're meant to be because we get stuck in the fact that we believe that everything about us is flesh first or feelings first when actually it's spiritful first. All right, Revelations 22 verse 1 to 2 says, He showed me the pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river were the trees of life, which would bear twelve manners of fruit, and yielded their fruit every month for the healing of the nations. 
Revelations 22 talks about the river being pure and being a, the river of life. Ezekiel 47 verse 1 and then 3 to 5 says, Afterwards he brought me again into the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward and measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the ankle. Again he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters were at the knees. And again he measured a thousand, and brought me to the loins, and that word loins means the hollow of the back and the waist. Afterwards he measured a thousand, and it was river, a river that I could not pass, for the waters had risen, the waters to swim in, the river that could not be passed. And so we see that God has got a river that he wants us to live in, and we've got to go deeper. And if you look up the word measure, it means to be stretched. He stretches us deeper, and he stretches us deeper. And every one of us have landed somewhere, and we've been satisfied with that, and he's saying, I want more. I've got more. Won't you just allow me to stretch you into the next level? Now, I'm just going to go back very quickly um, and just talk about Adam and Eve and the fall of Adam and Eve. You know, I heard something that was just amazing. When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them the whole garden. And he said to them, you can have anything here because you've been created in glory. You are living for glory and you are my glory carriers that give glory back to me. And they lived for that season in the fullness of glory. There was no shame. There was no guilt. They were naked and they had the most amazing time. But there was one tree that God said, don't touch that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know, I've always heard the teachings that Satan was attached to that tree and they went and they had it and he tempted them and they fell. And for me, it was always like, God, how can you be so unkind as to put this trap there? And then I heard a teaching recently, and it was the first time that I feel I've got revelation. And I'm going to share that with you. Um, and it's just a thought. But it's the most powerful thought that's given me an understanding that I've ever had in all my 45 years of serving Jesus. And this was the thought. What about if that tree wasn't put there to trap them? wasn't put there to lead them into sin. But what about if that tree was a tree of tithe? You know, God has said to us, you can have everything you want, but give me the first fruits. You can have anything that you want. Everything I have, I've given you. But just sow back. You see, God is a, a generous God, and he gives seed and he gives bread. And, and he says, you can have this bread. That's all yours. And he gave them the garden. And he gave them all the trees. He said, that's all bread. Enjoy it. But there's one tree there that's your seed. That's my fruit. And if you will give me that fruit, you will always live in my glory. And they were tempted to take that which belonged to God. And one thing that I've learned is that whenever we take from the tree that belongs to God, whenever we touch the seed that God says, sow your tithe, sow your seed, sow back, 90% is yours, but one-tenth is mine. Whenever we partake and we eat the seed as bread of that which belongs to God, there's always a snake attached. Every time that we touch that which belongs to God, 
The devourer comes in and steals and kills and to destroy. And what if that was the purpose of the tree? What if it belonged to God? It was the seed to go back to him. He said, you can have everything, but that tree's mine. Don't touch the fruit of that because that is what you're pouring back into my life and into the fullness of the seed that's ongoing. And that's exactly what our tithe is. It's an ongoing seed for the next season. And when we regularly give God what is his, the first fruit, the tithe, when we give him that which belongs to him, the enemy cannot devour your life. He cannot steal from you. He cannot, God says, it's the only thing he ever says, test me in. Test me in this. If you will take your tithe to the storehouse, test me. I will be the provider for you. But if we don't, there's always a snake attached that comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And for me, that explanation made the most sense of anything I've ever heard. What if it actually wasn't meant to be a trap? What if it just belonged to him and he said, don't touch that one. The rest are yours. You can have as much of that as you want, but that's my seed. But we know they did touch. We know that they partook of it. We know that they encountered the enemy and we know that they lost their destiny as being able to live in glory, for glory, carry glory and be in the fullness of their inheritance. So God had to start again. And what did he do? He separated Abraham to himself. And it says in Acts 7 verse 2, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia means the place between two rivers. And he said to Abraham, Go to the land I have shown you. And I really want to encourage you that whenever God comes and calls us out of darkness to bring us into light, we are positioned between two rivers. We position between the river of life and the river of death. Um, Euphrates means fruitful and Tigris means a swift river. The enemy's river is always swift and inviting and exciting. And it's always instant coffee. Just do this and you will get glory and you'll be at fame. And every single person is craving for that glory. That's what they're craving. But God says, come into my river and you will live fruitfully. And I will restore you back to your created state. You see, everything about our created state is holy. And everything about what God created us to do and to be is incredibly powerful. And because of the fall, we've all come short of the glory of God. And God's got to restore that back to us. But we've got to choose which river we're going to walk in. And so we, we, he literally calls us out. The one is crystal clear, beautiful and holy. And the other one is muddy and contaminated and exciting. And we've got to choose which river are we going to live in. The river of death or the river of life. Isaiah 59 says, When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Holy Spirit is the river of life and the enemy has demonic waters that it pours out against our life and tries to suck us in. It says in Revelation 12 verse 15, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away in the flood. The enemy's muddy waters is always against the church. Why am I warning you about two rivers? Because too many people start off in the river of life. And they get seduced back into muddy waters. And they start following the voice of the enemy. And they start trying to apply that to the fullness of God. And God is calling us to be absolutely in the river of life. When a person is feelings led and not spirit led, they become a victim to the snake. Feelings are not our highest indicator of truth. 
Too many people say, well, I felt this was right or I felt this was wrong. My friends, our feelings are lies. We can be affected by so many things. We can be affected by not being well. We can be affected by what we pick up in the atmosphere. We can be affected by so many things. Do not make decisions on feelings. We've got to rise up to a higher revelation. And so many people are looking for experiences and feelings to come into a deeper presence with God and it's putting them right back into the muddy waters. And unfortunately... Religion takes us right out of the river and puts us in the dry place. And where is the enemy? He's always in the dry places. He's always in the wilderness. If you want to have an encounter with the enemy, get into the wilderness. God always puts us in the river of life. And if he can't get you out of the river, he'll get you into the wrong river. And how does he do that? When we hunger and seek for experiences, encounters, but we're not hungering and seeking for more of the Father of glory. Beware, seeking for glory without hungering after righteousness places one right into the hands of the enemy and he will open the floodgates but the result will be muddy waters, the wrong water and the wrong spirit. So we've got to allow God to lead us back into the fullness of his waters which is pure. The Holy Spirit is crystal clear. He is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy, and we serve our Father who is holy, and the angels cry, holy, 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 and we can't make ourselves holy. If we try and make ourselves holy, we just become self-righteous, but we can come into his presence more, and when we come into his presence, what happens when you stand under a shower? The dirt gets washed away, and he's calling us into a greater revelation of his presence. We see that Eve, everything that Satan did in Eve in Genesis 3, he appealed to her soul. It said, good for food. It said, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasing to the eye and it was a tree to be desired and to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof because it appealed to her flesh, it appealed to what pleased her emotions. And it appealed to her intellect, and she ate it. And God is saying, that is the enemy's ploy. It's never stopped. So don't go for that which appeals to your feelings or your intellect or trying to build up. And that is why people are ever studying but never knowing the truth. Because they go under philosophies, they go after all kinds of intellectual understanding, but they're not encountering the truth. And God is wanting us to find the well of water which springs up into eternal life. John 4 verse 10 and 14 says the water that I give you. John eleven forty says, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He's calling us deeper into the river that he has for us. He's done everything possible. Jesus died for our justification, which means that we've been rendered innocent by the blood of the Lamb. The Holy Spirit is there to sanctify us, which means to transform us. By the renewing of our mind that we no longer think like this world, but we think like the kingdom of heaven, a different authority, a different way of building, a different understanding, so that we can be glorified by the Father, restored to our created state. We are created to be glory carriers. Galatians 4 verse 1 and 2 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, Though he be the Lord of all, 
but as under tutors and governors until the time appointed for the Father. As immature Christians, we are just servants under authority of leaders. But God is saying, I'm not looking for baby Christians. I'm looking for sons. And when we are son, when we know our father, when we know our identity, when we know who we are, what we've been created to be, we're no longer under governors, but we actually have the authority to be able to control and to establish and to be who he's called us to be. It says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, But we all with unveiled faces behold as in a glass of glory, sorry, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. Um, week one continued. Second session. Okay. I want to love you please to turn to chapter 3 on page 25. And as, we, as I was preparing this, um, the last time I taught it, God said this, people do not understand the journey that they need to walk if they don't have revelation of the destiny. Now, as I teach this, um, this is definitely a teaching that you're going to want to go back to, to listen. And I most probably am not going to go much beyond this teaching today. Because for most of you, it will be information that maybe no one's ever taught you before. But I would like you to understand that the reason that God has called us on a journey of preparation is if we understand the destiny that he's preparing us for. You know, I remember um, I hated high school. High school for me was the absolute pits. I, I, I kept thinking, this is it for the rest of my life. I remember going every day to school and thinking, this is it. This is my life. I'm stuck in this stupid school. I hate it. I was um, always being prophetic. I was rebellious. I was always um, thinking of some other plan. I, 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 I thought out the box. I didn't fit in. And I was hating every second of high school. I remember thinking, I can't understand that they can be so petty and so small-minded. And I was always in trouble because I was always stirring trouble. And in those days, I, I just sort of saw it as being frustrated in school. And then suddenly, one day, you leave school and you realize that it's such a tiny part of your life. And now, six and a half decades later, I look back on the 12 years of school and I think, goodness me, it was such a such a, a drop of water, um, such a teacup full of water in, in, the, in the system of time. And, you know, if you think about the fact that our life, the full quality of our life is like one dot on a line drawn right around the world, that's our lifespan on this earth. It's such a tiny, short period of time. And we put so much focus and emphasis on it. And for me... I remember just always feeling like, am I ever going to get out of here? And I look back now and I think, gosh, it was such a short, tiny little time of my life. And the truth of the matter is, if we don't understand what we're being prepared for, we won't be able to walk the journey well. If we think all we're ever going to have is here on earth, and all we're ever going to have is what we've got now, and this is it, we're completely going to miss God's plan. And this is not it. This is only the training school. This is only the preparation time. And the destiny is eternally, eternity with our Father. And we've got to understand what that looks like. So the first thing I want you to know <clears throat> is that the day that he created you in your mother's womb, 
When he even planned you, because he created us long before we were in our mother's room. He created us at the beginning of time. And he created the exact time and the exact place and the exact purpose that he had for you. And when you would arrive, the Bible says in Acts 17, 26, he knows the exact times and places that we are to live so that some may get to know him. Your life purpose is so that some may get to know him. How do you reach them with the uniqueness of who you are and how he's made you to be. Revelations 20 verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things that were written in the books according to their works. We were created with a purpose, we were created with a plan, we were created in glory, for glory, from glory, to carry glory, and to take it back to the Father, and we were created for a time such as this. And the moment that God created you, He wrote a book about your life. And in that book is the fullness of your predestined state and ability. It's the fullness of every work that he had for you to do. And it's the fullness of the capacity that you can carry in your lifetime. God said this to me one day, nobody can take your destiny, but you can give it away. No one can steal your destiny, but you can give it away. And then it said, and another book was opened. And that was the book of life. And I just want to spend a little bit of time talking to you now about you need to have revelation of our destiny so that we can understand the journey. Okay, in Isaiah 61 verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. To be able to qualify for the fullness of the destiny of coming before the Father one day, we need to be covered by the garment of salvation, clothed by the garment of salvation, and covered by a robe of righteousness. We need two mantles to be able to qualify. How do we get the garment of salvation? You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And as you accept him, he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's absolutely no other way to get the garment of salvation but through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. That covers us and makes us acceptable before the Father. But that is not enough. We also need a robe of righteousness because the robe of righteousness takes us out of our fallen state and transforms us to be righteous before the Father. Righteous means in right standing with God. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can prepare us for the garment, the robe of righteousness. So we need both. To qualify us. What is the book of your own life? As I've already described, it's the book that God writes everything about your destiny in it. I'm going to read some scriptures just to confirm this for you. Psalm 139 verse 14 to 18 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in the secret place. And curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfected. And in your book all my members were written, which in, uh, which in accordance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God! How great 
is the sum of them. So Psalm 139 says that your that every day ordained for me was written in your book before one of them came to be. Every day when he created you, every day planned out for you was written in that book. Now can the enemy come and steal, kill and destroy and cut that short? Yes, he can. He can cut short our destiny. He can cut short our predestined state. How? If we walk in the wrong river. But if we walk in the fullness of the river of life, nothing, absolutely nothing, can stop you being everything that God created you to be. Psalm 56 verse 8 says, um, have, you, have you count of my wanderings? Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I love that scripture because it says God even knows the tough things we're going to walk through. He even knows the journey that we're going to walk and it's going to be tough for us. He even knows that we're going to cry some tears. He didn't intend a highway of ease. He intended a journey of transformation. And whenever we get transformed and our flesh gets touched, it's not easy. Ephesians 1 verse 5 to 6 and 11 to 12 says, Having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and of his grace, wherein he has made us acceptable in the beloved, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things after the counsel of his... <coughs> Excuse me. Who works out all things after the counsel of his own good. Of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory, <coughs> who first trusted in Christ. Not only will we predestined for a place, but also for a purpose. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. <coughs> Oh, excuse me, my throat's a bit dry. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, let anyone should boast. So, you know, it's not by what we do to win favor with God, because that way we get the glory. It's by aligning with what he's predestined us to do. It says there, um, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So he created us to work. He created us to do things. He created us to, to have an ability to be able to accomplish much. But it's not by striving. It's not by trying to please men. It's not by trying to impress men. It's not by trying to get man's attention. And for so many people, they believe that mixing with the right people, getting the right attention is going to open the right doors for them to be raised up in the fullness of their gifting and authority. And actually, that is the biggest lie on, the, on, on earth. The truth of the matter is, how do we walk into the fullness of the authority that God has got for us? We learn to spend more time with Jesus. We learn to enter into the river of life, to spend more time in the presence, more time with Jesus. We learn how to get to know Him. It says in Matthew 7, um, that they will say, I've done all these incredible things in your name. Cast out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick. And you'll say, get away from me, I never knew you. It's not what we've done. It's how much we know him. And when we know him, the overflow of our heart is to please him. 
And so many people have spent their whole life trying to impress other people and trying to get profile and promotion through other people's thoughts and ideas. And he's saying, that is not acceptable to me. There's a scripture in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11. It says, for other foundations can for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day sh- shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss. He himself shall be saved, yet from the fire. And so God is saying the day is going to come that everything we've ever done is going to come under the consuming fire of heaven. And what we've done, no matter how amazing we think it is, to impress man, to win favor with man, to impress our flesh, to impress our intellect, to feel more important is going to be hay and stubble. But that which we've done to fulfill our destiny and to fulfill our call is going to be gold and silver before the Father. You know, I can't help thinking there's a whole lot of little old ladies in heaven that achieve nothing in man's eyes. But they've been faithful intercessors. They've been faithful prayers. They've been people that have shifted heavens. They've prayed for generations. And they're going to be sitting there with gold and silver for what they've achieved. And there's going to be a whole lot of others that are going to think they've done so much. And the Father's going to say it was just stubble because I never asked you to do that. Whenever we live in the fullness of grace, we operate out of rest. Whenever we live in the fullness of what He's predestined for us, we operate from a place of grace which means it's easy, and rest, which means you've got time to do everything He's called you to be and still flourish. Everything God created, He created out of rest. It said, and there was night, and there was day, and it was the first day. And so many of us are caught up in cycles, trying to do everything, stressed out, worn out, working 24 hours a day, and our destiny is going to make it all stubble. We've got to get back to what He created us for. In Acts 17, verse 26, he says the exact times and the exact places. Revelations 22, verse 12, it says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall it be. So we see that there's a reward for what we've done in glory, for glory, according to our predestined state. And we see that anything else that we've done is going to be burnt away, is going to have no value. I've just listed down a few of the rewards The word crown means a wreath or a badge of royalty. And the Bible talks about the rewards that we will receive if we've lived our predestined calling. The first one in Isaiah 61, it says he gives us a crown of beauty for ashes. I love that scripture. It says it doesn't matter where you've been and how broken you've been. It doesn't matter how shattered your life was. If you prepare to walk away from your brokenness, if you prepare to let go, to forgive, if you prepare to allow him to bring healing, He's going to place upon you a crown of great beauty for the depth of the ashes where you've been. So many of us are stuck in that place of bitterness because of where we've been. So many of us are disqualified from the future 
because of where we've been and what we believe the lie of that. And he says, if you prepare to walk away from that, you're going to come before everybody wearing that reward, that crown of beauty that I've got for you. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25 talks about the incorruptible crown. It talks about the athlete that, that trains so hard, that works so hard, that strives, that's disciplined in their, in their physical being and they, they don't eat the wrong things. They run all the time. They're training, training, training all the time. And he says they do all of that for a corruptible crown. I've called you to live a life of righteousness for the incorruptible crown the crown that will never fade away for all eternity. Now, how do we get these rewards? By living according to the book of life of our personal life that's been opened over our lives, by fulfilling the personal things that God has got for every one of us. Then we see the victor's crown. In 2 Timothy, it talks about the victor's crown, 2 verse 5. That's the crown when we come to the end of our life and he says, well done. You've lived a life of discipline. You've lived a life where you have sought after righteousness and you've lived a righteous life and you've come into my fullness and you've understood my heart. You're going to get the crown of a life well lived, a victor's crown. Philippians 4 verse 1 and 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19 talks about a ministry crown or the crown of rejoicing. I love that one. I love that one. I mean, they're all just so amazing. I mean, can you imagine one day when they open the books and, and he opens your book of life and he says, oh my goodness, you're going to get the crown of beauty and, and the angels are all clapping and celebrating and everybody goes, wow, look at that because you pushed through your brokenness and you came into wholeness and look at that. And then he says, and you've lived such a righteous life and you've walked in the fullness and you've, you've hungered and thirsted after me and I'm going to give you the victor's crown. <coughs> And everybody says, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? And all of heaven celebrates and the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are rejoicing. And then he says, I just want you to look over your shoulder and see all the people who've come to know me because you were prepared to live the life I called you to live. I want you just to look. You see all those people there? They all know me because your life made the difference. They all know me because you sowed and you watered and you put down those seeds and you prayed and you were prepared to do all those things. Look, look, look. And today they know me because of you and because of your life. And I think that's the most beautiful crown of all. I just get overwhelmed by the beauty. And it's the crown of rejoicing or the ministry crown. And he says every one of those lives have been added to you because you lived the life I created you to live. Such a beautiful, beautiful crown. 2 Timothy 4 talks about the crown of righteousness, living a life of just seeking after the fullness of the king. And then James 1 verse 12 and Revelations 2 verse 10 talks about the crown of life. For he who overcomes... My friends, we don't hear that word ministered in the churches very often. There is an overcoming. There is an overcoming. There is a resisting the devil and he will flee. There is a fighting against your flesh to rise into the fullness of what I have for you. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and that means even your own. But we do wrestle against principalities and powers. And what do they appeal to? They appeal to flesh. 
And that word wrestle means to stand. And when you've done all else, stand. Stand, stand, stand. We have to learn to stand against the onslaught of the evil one. And for that, he says, if you've overcome, you're going to get the crown of Zoe life. And then the final one is the crown of glory. And this, this crown is a crown that I absolutely marvel at. Um, and, and it's a crown that I've never heard anybody preach on. But it's a crown that I just think is absolutely amazing. And I'm going to ask you just to turn to Revelations 21 verse 24 very quickly, please. So it talks about it in um, Proverbs 16 verse 31. And it says that, that gray hair is the crown of glory. But it doesn't mean an old person. There are many gray-headed people that are not carrying any glory. It means somebody whose gray hair represents the fact that they've lived a long life for Jesus, for the King, and they've walked in the fullness of their identity as a wise, strong person. And I just want to read to you um, Revelations 21 verse 24. I started off by saying that the only light in heaven is going to be the glory and the light of the Father and the Lamb. And um, if you just read with me. And I'm reading from the NIV. It says this. And it's talking about being in the presence of everyone gathering um, in the presence of God. It says, the city does not need the sun or the moon, verse 23, to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is the lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth, listen to this, will bring their glory into it. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The nations, the only light that the nations will have is the light of the Father and the Son. But those who rise up in the fullness of their identity as sons of God will be kings that will wear the crown of glory that their glory will be part of the reflection that the nations will enjoy in eternity. Isn't that amazing? So when Billy Graham walks in, crowned with that crown of glory on his head, forever and ever and ever, the nations will know there goes a son of God that lived to the fullness of what he was created to do. When they see Paul coming in, there goes the son of God. The kings will carry their own glory. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that the most incredible scripture? That what we achieve on earth to come into the fullness of our glorified state will be remembered eternally. And we don't get there through pride, arrogance, or self-promotion. We get there by laying on our faces before the Father, weeping with compassion over that which he weeps about. It's just such an amazing scripture. Every time I read it, I just get ignited again to know why do we live the life we do. So the, the book that's been written about your own life, once we start walking in the fullness of our predestined state, once we start getting a revelation that we have been created for glory, to carry glory, to be in glory, that there are rewards when we come before the Father one day. And we don't live for the rewards, we live for Him. 
We worship Him. We love Him. We live to please Him. If you love somebody, you want to do everything in your power to bless them because you love them. It's a love relationship. It's a love affair. It's a passionate relationship. And Kim, I just wanted to say to you, I felt that you're going to be making lots and lots of jewelry out of Songs of Solomon. I felt like he was going to anoint you mightily to produce the jewelry of the lover speaking to his bridegroom. So I'll just share that with you. Um, that's what it's all about. And in the process, there's just the most incredible gifts that he pours on us because he loves us so much. And the other book is the book of life. Now, this is a book that not many people understand. This is the book that qualifies you for heaven and hell. The other one just qualifies you're already in heaven, you're going to stay in heaven, you're not going to be disqualified. You may just have a few more rewards or you may not, but you will not miss heaven because of the book of your own life. But the book of life is a different story. It says in Philippians 4 verse 3, Paul talking, and he says, I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, um, help these women who have labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now what we need to understand about the book of life is that your name is not automatically in the book of life. It's when you wear the garment of salvation that qualifies you to be have your name put into the book of life. So to qualify for the book of life, which qualifies you for the kingdom of heaven, you have to have had a salvation encounter and a salvation experience. Revelation 3 verse 2 to 5 says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you've received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore you do not watch, I will come on, on you as a thief in the night and you will not know the hour that I come. It says, For those who aren't watching, they're not going to know the hour. For the, when, you know, we've heard the story of he's going to come like a thief in the night, only for those who aren't ready. For those who are ready, they're going to know all the signs and they're going to be able to tell. They won't know the date, but they'll know the Father is coming back soon. Um, I will come as a thief and you won't know the hour that I will come for you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, talking about the robes of righteousness, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcomes, and shall, and the same shall be clothed in white um, clothes, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before the Father and before the angels. Now, isn't that interesting? I thought that once your name was in the book of life, it could never be taken out. Jesus says, there are those who have defiled themselves, and they will not have their name in the book of life. It will be blotted out. Revelation 13 verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, and slain from the foundations of the world. Everybody is going to worship God. Everybody is going to bow before him. But not everybody's name will be in the, in, in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21 27 says, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that is defiled, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a falsehood or a lie, but they who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Defiled people cannot enter into the presence of God. In, there's a warning. There's three types of situations that disqualify us. Once we have had our name in the Lamb's Book of Life, they disqualify us and stop us from being able to enter in and that will have our names removed from the Lamb's Book of Life. First of all, Exodus 32:33 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6, just in case you think that's Old Testament. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and who were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing that they've crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and have put on him open shame. So what is the first thing that disqualifies us and causes us to lose our right to having our name in the book of life? Deliberately sinning against the word of God. When we've had a revelation that it's wrong, where we've chosen to walk in the fullness of God, where we've walked a journey in the Holy Spirit. We talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? It means to deliberately turn away from that which you've once known was powerful. We can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit if we've never known Him. So for a young Christian that says, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit, well, they're just ignorant. But once we've had a revelation of the Holy Spirit, once we've lived in the Holy Spirit, once we've seen the supernatural operating, once we've operated in the dunamis of the Holy Spirit, once we've prophesied, once we've spoken in tongues, once we've, we've started having words of knowledge, words of wisdom, once we've seen the supernatural happening, once we've started seeing the dead raised, once we've started having a revelation of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, if we then choose to go back to our state of life before that by deliberately choosing to sin there is a time where God says there's nothing more I can do because we cannot crucify Jesus again and the scariest thing is we get so hard hearted that we don't even want to deliberate sin can have our names taken out of the Lamb's book of life Hebrews 10 verse 26 to 27 says for if we sin willfully After that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but the certain fearful looking for judgment and the fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries of God. So, once saved, always saved, was brought in in about the 50s. It was never preached before that. It should never be preached today. Because once saved, always saved does not, is not truth. It is a false gospel. The truth of the matter is we have a river to walk in. We have a river called the river of life, called the kingdom of heaven, that God is calling us to live according. We need to have the garment of, of, of salvation, and we need to be allowing him to establish the robe of righteousness in our life through the transforming of our mind from the ways of this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not striving. It's not piety. It's not religion. It's not making a list of rules. It is surrender into the presence of God. But the truth of the matter is, if we continue to sin willfully and refuse and choose to go back to our sinful ways, 
There is a day when the Father says, there's nothing else that I can do. So there's deliberately sinning. The second one is if we refuse to forgive people. Matthew 6 verse 15 says, But if you forgive not men their trans- transgressions, neither will your Father, neither can your Father forgive you. He cannot forgive us. Um, I remember many of you might have even seen it, but there was this incredible um, video that went around a few years ago of a, a man from Africa, a pastor in Africa, that was a pastor. He'd been ministering for many years, and there was an altercation between him and his wife, and he had great ought against her. He would not forgive her. And the more she tried to make right with him, the more he ignored her, the more he treated her badly, the more he blamed her, the more he, he operated in unforgiveness towards her. And the one day he had a car accident and he was killed. And um, they took him to the, to the mortuary, they embalmed him, they prepared him for his burial, but his wife wouldn't let him go. And she petitioned over his body for him to come back. Eventually on the fourth day that he was dead, she took his body to a, 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 a Reynard Bonkey meeting and took it into the, there was, he, was, he was preaching in a hall, but there was a bit of a, a basement under there. And she took the body into the basement, which is under the stage of where he was ministering, and she just got people to pray over him. He'd been embalmed and he was dead for four days. And while Reynard was ministering upstairs, the power of God came down. And it was all on film. And this man was resurrected. And, um, and God came and brought him back to life. And when they interviewed him about his testimony, he said he'd been in hell. And when he said, God, but I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And God said to him, but you had unforgiveness towards your wife. And if you do not forgive, I cannot forgive you. And, and only because of the very person he had unforgiveness towards, she had pulled him out of hell and brought him back to life. And it was such a lesson, my friends. Bitterness sends us to hell. And it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how much we've served God. It doesn't matter what we've done in our lives. If we do not forgive, we will be in the fiery pit of hell because God cannot forgive us. I'm not teaching a foundations course. I'm teaching mature Christians and I'm telling you the truth. God says if you understand your destiny, you will understand the journey. And what is the third way that we can lose our salvation? Re- Revelations 12:19 says, If anyone should take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life and out of the Holy Spirit and from the things that were written in this book. And so if we change the truth of the gospel and we try and dilute it in any way, God is saying, don't mess with my book because my book is perfect and and, and has the full balance. And if we try and dilute it and make it less and take away from and reduce it, um, God is saying, I will take away from you that which is owing for the, uh, the Lamb's book of life. Judgment Day, Revelations 20 verse 12 says, And I saw the dread, small and the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things, and um, which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, and the dead and hell were delivered up, and the dead which were in them, and they were judged every one according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast 
into the lake of fire. And so we have to understand that it is the privilege of serving God and being transformed in the river of life that qualifies us for eternity with Him. So what happens to people that get saved on their deathbed? Well, they enter into paradise. And paradise is the gardens of heaven. Jesus said in Luke 23 verse 43, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. What do we have to have to qualify for paradise? You have to have the garment of salvation. If you have the, the blood of the Lamb over you and you've got no unforgiveness in your heart, even if you haven't progressed one drop in your journey, but your heart is pure and you haven't willfully sinned and you've got saved on your deathbed or you've got saved and you've just stayed in the ankle deep waters, you will qualify for paradise. That's what the Word of God says. Isaiah 61 says, that we need to have two robes to qualify to go into the presence of God, to go through the gates and to go to the Father. Blessed is he, Matthew 5 verse 6, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Paul tells us that he encountered paradise. He says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 2 and 4, I know a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I don't know, God knows, such <coughs> a man was caught up into the third heaven now he was caught up into paradise so what is the third heaven it's the beginning of the presence of God and the heavens and if we look at this little drawing which I did a long time ago we'll see that the first heaven is the realm that we live in we see that the second heaven is not called second heaven in the, in the word it's called the kingdom of darkness that is the realm that the enemy controls and his demons, and he operates from the kingdom of darkness, trying to take our authority away in this earth. We have all authority in this earth to control the area that's been given to us. And then we see the beginning of the heavens of God, and when we get born again, our heaven opens. The power of the blood of Jesus opens the heavens <coughs> so that we can live in an open heaven, and we can draw the third heaven down, we can draw the kingdom of heaven down, and we can live on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we qualify to do. And then every time we have any form of worship encounters, we encounter the heavenly realm and we pull it down. Now the gardens of heaven, the paradise of heaven, the beginnings of heaven, is known as the third heaven or paradise. And then beyond that, we go through the gates into the, into the realm where we have more of the encounter of the Father himself and into the throne room. Now, on the banks of the river, Ezekiel 47 river, it talks about the trees for the healing of the nations. Uh, Ezekiel 47 verse 7. Now, when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river, there were many trees on the one side and on the other. Revelations 2 verse 7 says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelations 22 verse 2 and 12 to 14 says, In the midst of the street and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bore twelve manners of fruit, which healed their fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. I give every man according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do my command, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates 
into the city. Revelation 7 verse 9 says, After this I behold, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kinds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in the white robes and with palms in their hands. So, if we have the garment of salvation but we don't have the robe of righteousness, we qualify for paradise. But we don't qualify to go into the presence of God because to be able to go into the presence of God, you've got to have the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. And in paradise, there are the trees for the healing of the nations. And as people partake of the trees for the healing of the nations, they get transformed out of their earthly body and their earthly mental understanding and thinking according to the ways of this world and the ways and the systems of this world and they get transformed to qualify them to be able to think according to the kingdom of heaven now the most amazing thing about that is if you have ever watched anybody that's had a near-death experience many of them will talk about the fact that they were in the presence of paradise and many of them will talk about the trees for the healing of the nations and many of them will say there were areas that they couldn't go into because they weren't ready to go into those areas. How long does it take to eat from the trees? I don't have a clue. And I'm sure because God is who he is, and who he says he is, that will depend on, on, on our own desires, on how quickly we want to grow. I know that those, whatever we've been called to be on earth will continue in the heavenly realm. And those that have been taught to equip and to train will continue training the people that are being prepared in the heavens. But God's desire... Is that not that we slip into heaven smelling like hell, but his desire is that we come into the fullness of the revelation of our sonship and we walk in the fullness of the rewards that he has for us and we walk in the fullness of sons walking right into that throne room because he's coming back for priests and kings. He's coming back for his sons. And we can only be his sons if we look like him, smell like him, think like him and understand the ways of the kingdom. So, what happens if our names are not written in the book of life? We do not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We will see it, but we can't enter in. What happens if our name gets blotted out? We will eternally know we were disqualified. What happens if we just slip in because we've got the garment, but we haven't allowed the, the transforming of our mind? We will have a season. Who knows how many thousands of years, because time is different there, of being prepared. But what happens if we prepare well on earth? We walk right through the gates, right into the presence, and we'll be standing before our Father in heaven, ready for everything that he's planned for us in glory. So how do we enter in? How do we go? Four little things. <coughs> God is looking for a habitation, not a visitation. Number one, how do we start? We have to desire more of him. We have to desire his glory. And I'm reading from page 18. We have to want it. He doesn't force anything upon us. He says, do you want it? Moses said to, to him, and he, Moses said, I beg you, show me your glory. Psalm 27 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said unto you, 
your face, Lord, will I seek. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the only commandment he's given us. Love him, love him, love him, love him. Mark 12, verse 30 and 32. He's asking for us to desire to know him more. Sorry, what page did you say? 18, page 18. 1-8. <coughs> desire to know Jesus more. Know his will and know his word. How do we do that? By spending time in the word. Know his person. How do we do that? By entering into times of praising him. Know his heart. How do we do that? By worshipping him. And encounter his presence. How do we do that? By praying in tongues. Just get to know him more. And God is desperate for us to get to know him more. The second thing is we need to look for glory. Look for it. It says in Acts 7 verse 55, and it's talking about Stephen, for he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into the heavens. That means he did not shake until he could see. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Look for it. Allow God to use the canvas. You know, the most amazing thing is when God created us in glory, our imagination was the screen of heaven touching earth. Our imagination is pure. It's on the screen of our imagination that God can reveal himself fully to us. And we've got to allow him to cleanse us again so that once again he can use the power of our imagination to be able to speak to us and show us more of the heavenly realm. Where do we dream? Through our imagination. Where do we have visions? Through our imagination. How do we see with our spiritual eyes? By using our imagination. And God wants to sanctify us. And he wants us to have times where we just say, God, I want you to show me. I want to see. It says in Isaiah 6, Isaiah who was a grumbling prophet, until in Isaiah 6 where he said, I saw, I perceived, I encountered as in a vision the Lord. And he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And from the moment that he could see, he was never the same again. And God is wanting us to look, to spend time looking. The next thing is to be positioned for glory. Which means that we make time, put time aside, not to pray. My friend, in our modern church, we think prayer means taking a shopping list to God. We go to prayer meetings where we do nothing but talk to Him about our needs. The word prayer means worship and supplicate. And He's looking for us not to pray, but to worship, to sit in His presence, to listen, to listen. To position ourselves so that he can speak to us and speak through us. Um, the Bible says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and Him do I trust. Psalm 91. We've got to learn to dwell in His presence. <clears throat> Isaiah says, 
um, 40. And they who wait upon the Lord. That word wait means to be bound together, to be twisted together, to be knitted with Him. It means to hang on to Him. And I've got a picture here of a little girl holding on to the leg of her father. And I remember my kids doing that too. That no matter where you walk, they would just hang on and they wouldn't let go. That's what waiting upon the Lord means. Hanging on to Him. Where you're just expecting everything that He will just move you, take you with, and you're just listening to Him. You're bound to Him. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We've got to learn to wait on the Lord. And then um, number four, we've got to expect glory. What does that mean? It means expect God to interrupt your day. Expect Him to arrest you. Expect Him to, to tell you about to make a phone call. Expect Him to say to you, stop and pray for that person. We've got to expect for glory to break into our day. And it was the afternoon, Acts 3 verse 1 to 3, where Peter and John were just going to go and pray. And because they were expecting glory, when this man said, give me money, they said, I'm not going to give you money, I'm going to give you glory. And they allowed what they carried to be released into this man, and they changed his life forever. We've got to expect for God to interrupt our day. <coughs> and to choose to want to release glory through us. And then we have to operate in glory. Acts 3 verse 4 says, Peter, along with John, looked straight in the eye and said, Look at us. So the man watched them closely, expecting to get something from them. However, Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. And we've got to expect glory to manifest when we pray for people. And not pray for people with the thought of, well, what if it doesn't happen? If you've asked him for more and you've spent time with him and you are full of him, you have to pour out. It's just an overflowing of what's already in you. The Spirit of God is looking for people that he can find a habitation, not just a visitation. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God wants to dwell in you? He says in John, I am the, I am the, the, the tree, you are the branches. He who abides in me. We've got to be so rooted in him that what pours out of us is just an extension of who he is. Expect glory. So what am I saying? I'm saying if you want to go deeper in God, desire it. It's got to be according to your desire because you have to be stretched into another level. If you don't desire it, you'll never be stretched. Number two, you've got to start being ready to spend time to be able to see with new eyes. Number three, you've got to position yourself of times of quietness, times of separation, and times in the presence. Number four, you've got to expect your day to be interrupted. And when it is interrupted, don't get frustrated or irritated. Look for opportunities for God to move. Cues are the most wonderful place. Don't get frustrated in a queue. Just say, God, who do you want to move in? Whose life do you want to change because I'm there? And number five, take every opportunity to release glory and to pray for people. Father, I want to thank you for this foundational teaching today. The foundations of 
Why are you calling us into deeper glory? The foundations of that our life here is just a pinprick compared to eternity and that you're preparing us for eternity and along the journey a whole lot of other people's lives are going to be changed because of us. I pray God for a hunger and a thirst for more. I pray for a desperate desire for more. I pray for something within the very hearts of every one of us that we will not be satisfied with where we are at but we'll be desperate for more of you. Holy Spirit, you are the after teacher, and I ask you to continue teaching even long after this message is over. And I pray for just such an anointing on every word that you spoke. And your word says that your word will never return void. And I want to thank you for the revelation of words of authority and power to change hearts. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.